broadcasting live from the Raiders practice facility at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. This is the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, presented by Tequila Embajador. I know what I've put on film. I know the things that I've been able to accomplish. And I still want more. There's still more. And I want to do it here. I don't want to do it anywhere else. I've said it over and over again. I... I'd, I'd, I'd probably quit football if I had to play for somebody else. You know, I, I am a Raider for my entire life. I'm going to root for one team for the rest of my life, and uh, it's the Raiders. So um, I, I just feel that so strong in my heart. You know, I don't need a perfect situation. You know, I believe that. That was Derek Carr, Las Vegas Raiders quarterback who makes it very, very clear he wants to be a Raider quarterback for life. He wants to be a Raider for life. Obviously, he's not going to be able to play quarterback for the Raiders for the rest of his life, but he wants to stay a Raider. He wants to remain a Raider. He wants to retire a Raider. He doesn't want to go anywhere else to play football. He wants to get it done here in Las Vegas with this franchise, the Silver and Black, the only NFL team that he knows. Yes, there's been a lot of downs, a few highs here and there. Uh, Derek Carr, uh, there's been some years, including last year, where Derek Carr played uh, borderline spectacular football. Um, Unfortunately, doesn't have a, a whole lot to show for it in terms of team success, but they keep knocking on the door and knocking on the door. Um, and Derek Carr, when he spoke to the media today out at minicamp in Henderson, which is exactly where I am right now, said it flat out, made it perfectly clear, abundantly clear. He couldn't make it any clearer. He doesn't want to go anywhere else. He wants to be a Raider. And part of the reason we even brought that up with Derek Carr was because we see other players. Hello, Aaron Rodgers. Hello, Deshaun Watson. Tom Brady uh, last year, moving from the New England Patriots to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, There are players in the NFL, specifically quarterbacks, who are starting to wield their power in order to dictate their future and where they go. We've seen it in baseball. We've seen it in basketball. We're starting to see it in football. And with Aaron Rodgers conspicuously playing golf right now, uh, when the Green Bay Packers are uh, out on the field, when we've seen Aaron Rodgers not participate whatsoever in their offseason program and do his own thing and uh, doesn't appear to be like he's doing very much of anything in regards to football, he doesn't want to be in Green Bay anymore. That's pretty clear. He wants to go forge his own future someplace else. So, um, you know, with quarterbacks yielding and wielding that kind of power, was curious to find out where Derek Carr's head is on that, being that he's been here in with the Raiders for seven years, going on his eighth year. There hasn't been much team success. It hasn't always been his fault. In fact, he probably bears very, very little blame for the breakdowns that have occurred uh, here with the Raiders. And it would be, you'd be less than human, right? If you didn't start to think or imagine somebody like Derek Carr, uh, who's obviously a very, very, very capable NFL quarterback, starts maybe looking at some of his buddies around the league moving around and bettering their situations. And, hey, Derek, do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about maybe finding greener pastures someplace else. Uh, And as Derek Carr uh, spoke today, 
he made it pretty clear that no, that's not on his agenda. By the way, you're in the huddle with Vinnie Bonsignor, uh, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a hot, sticky, sweltering Las Vegas afternoon. It was blazing hot today. It still is. It was hot on the field this morning, even at 730 when we uh, got to uh, Henderson and got to the practice facility uh, and started watching practice. Uh, it was hot as you know what, but the Raiders have to make the best of the situation, and that's exactly what they're doing, uh, Derek Carr included. Uh, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. We would love to get your thoughts, 702-365-9200. By the way, after Derek spoke uh, to the media uh, on Zoom, I was able to get uh, about 15, 20 minutes uh, alone <laughs> with Derek Carr uh, to kind of expound on uh, some things that he said today uh, and some other topics that I wanted to touch upon, um, his relationship with John Gruden, uh, the possibility of extending his contract. Remember, uh, Derek's going into year two or the last two years of his contract, none of which is guaranteed, by the way. Um, the possibility of extending that contract. So being a Raider for life becomes even more uh, plausible and more possible and more likely. Uh, talked about Henry Ruggs, talked about the offensive line changes, talked about um, his new life here in Las Vegas, which he absolutely loves, and uh, talked about some of the defensive changes, talked about Yannick Ngakwe, the new defensive lineman uh, that, oh, by the way, was here today. Uh, remember uh, Yannick Ngakwe and Josh Jacobs and Quentin Jefferson, all three of those players did their own thing during the voluntary phase of OTAs with the blessing of uh, the coaching staff, told you, um, you know, throughout this process that everybody was on the same page. There were no ill feelings. Uh, Josh, Quinton, Yannick, they've done enough already in their careers where uh, with the blessing of John Gruden and the staff, and they talked it out, and they came to an agreement that, hey, there's trust factor here. We believe that uh, you're not going to slouch or anything like that. Um, so we're good with you doing your thing during voluntary uh, the voluntary phase of the program, uh, but the agreement, of course, that when the mandatory mini camp starts, which it did today, everybody in all hands uh, would be on deck, and uh, that's basically what what the case was uh, today uh, out at uh, the practice field at Henderson. Uh, we want to uh, go uh, immediately out to the Raider Nation listener line. Uh, Justin is on the line. He wants to talk about the upcoming season. Hey, Vinny, can you hear me? I got you, brother. How you doing, man? Hey man, yeah, I used to call in all the time. I haven't called in in a while. How's how you guys been? How's the shows running? Everything doing good? very well, thank you. I appreciate the callback. Good, good. Hey, I just wanted your opinion on something. So um, I know you just started following the team. I think it was halfway through the 2019 season. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, November-ish of 2019. Okay, yeah. So um, I mean, you, I, I don't know how much Raider football you watched prior to that, but at least for 2019, 2020, we've seen the we've seen the team start off with a hot start at. Six and four and six and three, I think it was, or something like that. Within those first two seasons, and then that stretch, you know, they're beating good teams. We started off beating the Saints last year, beat the Chiefs last year. And funny enough, that the games we can never win are against the bad teams. Um, and just in your kind of, um, you know, reviewing the team um, for as long as you have, um, what what is to attribute to these second half of the season collapses in the last two years? Is it? Is it coaching? I mean, I know injuries always play a factor. I, I wouldn't think that injuries are the primary factor. I, I wouldn't think we're like the Niners when it comes to the injury department or anything like that. 
But for this consistently to, to happen two years in a row, like the team is looking great. You know, the defense, I would never say they look great, but they're able to do their job in the first half of the season. Does it just get, you know, you get to the late month or the the late weeks in October or early November, and then the team just starts getting tired? Or, or do you have any ideas to why, you know, why we keep seeing this team fall apart when they look so solid in the first, you know, six, seven weeks of the, the season? Yeah, and that's a great question. Uh, I appreciate it, and don't be a stranger. Uh, give us a call back. Um, you know uh, when uh, when you get a chance again. I think there's multiple reasons. Uh, I, listen, in the two years that I've been here, and specifically defensively, especially last year, I just don't think that the Raiders' defense was there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like there were some issues talent wise. There were some issues coaching wise. I think there were some issues, uh, guys just not being ready just yet. Uh, too many young players that were being relied on that weren't ready to deliver, um, you know, uh, on that stage when games get a little bit more important, the weather starts changing, teams start getting locked in, you're dealing with fatigue, you're dealing with injuries. Uh, the veteran teams are better suited and better equipped to handle when the calendar starts turning in that direction and the dynamics start turning in that direction. I think depth was an issue. Uh, so there were a whole th- bunch of reasons why um, I, I, they weren't able to get it done. When teams around the league, the good teams are playing their best football and need to play their best football, the Raiders, and again, last year, specifically speaking, their defense just wasn't ready uh to step up to that challenge. I think offensively, they were much, much better in 2020 than they were in 2019. But I also believe that the injuries that they started really um, feeling along the offensive line, remember Trent Brown barely played, Richie Incognito only played two games, um, Colton Miller got hurt at one point. There was a lot of you know, uh, shuffling of the deck. There were a lot of, you know, Sam Young, the backup right tackle would get hurt. Uh, he couldn't finish games. I mean, and it's just, it becomes a point where it's just too much to handle. And I think the Raiders offensive, um, production over the second half of the season in the, in the times that it took a little bit of a dip, i.e. the Atlanta Falcons game, uh, and a couple of others, I think that Injuries were really starting to add up, especially on that offensive line. But defensively, I just felt like they weren't there in a lot of different ways. Uh, I could say this. Eyeballing the Raiders' defense right now, the way we have these last, this month, last month or so, you can tell there's a difference. There's a different level of depth along the defensive line. There's a different level of physicality along the defensive line. You can see it. They just seem bigger. They seem more versatile. It seems like a deeper kind of a rotation. And I think you could see the same thing in the defensive backfield. It's just it looks different than it did last year. What's that going to mean when the season starts? We don't know. As Derek Carr said, you got to get out there and prove it now. you know, and, and even Derek Carr, kind of to, to answer your question, when, when I talked to him privately uh, earlier today, you know, and I, I asked him, I said, you know, last year, especially that after that last game of the season against the Denver Broncos, you know, when they score the two-point conversion to win the game, um, doing something that they completely that they failed to do almost in the exact same situation a year before against the Broncos, um, you know, after that game, 
finishing it off. I know they didn't finish the season off, especially that second half, but they finished the season off in that last game with a win. And they did something that they weren't capable of doing the year before, which was, you know, punch it in on a two-point conversion to win the game. And I remember distinctly after that game, him talking about the importance of finishing, finishing practices, finishing games, finishing seasons, finishing workouts, finishing, 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 always finish strong. And I talked, and I just don't think, going back to the original question, the Raiders were, in a lot of ways, mature enough, good enough, coached well enough, and I'm talking on the coaching part, I think just on that defensive side of the ball, coached well enough, connected enough, didn't have enough chemistry, the right chemistry, to, to finish the way they needed to finish in some of those key games down the stretch. And what Derek told me today was, you know, he feels like that win last year against Denver you know, kind of proved a little bit of a point. And, and one thing he said is like, look, you know, if you can't see that that's progress, if, if, if some people can't see that that was progress, then you're blind. He literally told me that you're blind. All right. And if you can't see with what, if you, if you can't look at what we did last year and not see that there was progress that was made, then you're just, in, you're, you're probably a little bit angry, <laughs> you know, and there's fans that are like that. Uh, but what he said was the key now is there has to be a championship level of effort uh, in key moments. There has to be a championship level of finishing now uh, in key games. And that's the next step. And what he told me today was, hey, if, if we can get that to that point, if we can get that championship level effort and championship level finishing component then the sky is the limit for the team. And he said this. He goes, Vinny, I believe that with everything I have, that the sky is the limit if we can just turn that, those two things up a little bit. Um, and, I, you know, I got to say, it's who knows? I mean, we're, on, we're in OTAs right now, we're in, or excuse me, minicamp, uh, closing the offseason off uh, in minicamp. I like what I'm seeing from – a depth standpoint, especially in areas that looked really thin last year, the defensive line, especially when injuries started started hitting last year, uh, the secondary, you know, um, I, it, it looks deeper this year. And that's good news. That's progress. And we'll see if it translates, you know, out on the field. Um, but if, you know, if they can and if it does, then this team is in a much better position uh, to really finish the season strong. And that's such a key component uh, this year is finishing the season strong. We're going to go back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Gangster Raider uh, is on the line. How you doing, Gangster Raider? Hey, I'm all right. And you? I'm doing good, man. Yeah, I'm doing good, too. I told, like I called JT earlier, I feel good about the season. You know where we at right now. We got two Hall of Famers going into the Hall of Fame this you know, this season. You know, so I feel like we're in a good place. Our defense should be better. And um, yesterday, I don't know if you heard or not, but uh, at the beginning of the JT show, a Kansas City fan called in and was talking mess or whatever. <laughs> but um, I noticed that they they starting to be bothered. They um fear us. You know, what I'm saying they they know we um got their number because I was um I was at this fish grave place out here in L.A. And it was this um, Kansas City dude. He had on a Kansas City hat, Kansas City jersey. And, you know, me, I always have on something <laughs> Raider. I had on my Raider. I had on my Raider hat, my Raider mask, and my Raider jersey. And he's steady trying to get my attention. You know, so I'm purposely ignoring him. I see him at the corner of my eye trying to get my attention. But I'm purposely ignoring him because 
you know, I don't I don't like to um play with my excrement, so I don't talk to people that wear um Kansas City stuff. So he I could tell he was trying to get my attention so he could talk some mess or whatever, but I just totally ignored him and shined him on that I could tell he kinda of was like disappointed that I didn't you know feed into his little whatever. And that's like that's for the feeling I got yesterday when the Kansas City fan called in. He know they threatened by us. He know we got their number. He know they barely beat us. We should have swept them last year, so now they threatened. So he called an in to the um to our station to try to um rally us up. But they just know, just like I know, they they didn't they didn't respect us at first, but now they trying to um secretly fear us. So they trying to you know rattle the cage or whatever. And I get the same thing out here because I'm a Clipper fan. So a lot of Laker fans they used to just ignore us or whatever, but now. Since we, you know, gain a little, you know, a little composure and getting a little championship caliber up under us, I notice Laker fans are starting to seem threatened everywhere I go. Where I have all my Clipper stuff, they got to say something. At first, back in the day, I was, there, nobody even paid attention when I had all my Clipper stuff. But now, all of a sudden, it's a big old argument. They got to say, "Why you not a Laker fan?" And whoop whoop this. But that's the same thing I'm trying to say to the Raider Nation. Kansas City is threatened by us. They know we coming. We know we got they. They know we got their number, and they know we should have swept them last year. And all we got to do is step up and get rid of them and claim our division. You know what I'm saying? Raider I Nation. hear you, gangster Raider, and um, you know it's. There's no question that's a tall order. It's the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, they're the reigning a- two-time reigning AFC uh, champions. But I but I, but I will say this. You know, you're you're absolutely right. Even with the marginal defense that the Raiders had, and and some you know not ready for prime time aspects to that defense last year, they should have beaten the Chiefs both times. And keep in mind this, really. When you think about it, even the Tampa Bay Buccaneers didn't f- beat the um, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs when the Kansas City Chiefs were full force. The Kansas City Chiefs were missing both of their offensive tackles uh, by the time that Super Bowl rolled around. So that was a much different offensive line, a much different offense as a result of that than the team that the Raiders almost beat twice. So that's something that the Raiders, and trust me, they know that. The Raiders understand that. That's a confidence booster. That's something that they can legit point to without any, you know, making um, any sort of excuses or, or trying to uh, uh, draw too much from something. They literally went toe-to-toe with the Kansas City Chiefs twice, should have beat them. At full strength, basically, the Kansas City Chiefs were both times that they played them. That's something there's – some, there's a takeaway from there. But more than that, or, or just as much as, the, as that, the Kansas City Chiefs in that Super Bowl, I'm not going to say that they got exposed because what happened was they got hurt and there's injuries and that happens. And there's – but it proves – I don't care who your quarterback is, and Patrick Mahomes is the best of the best right now. It doesn't matter if your supporting cast is dinged up or if your supporting cast isn't good enough. And the Chiefs support, or Patrick Mahomes' supporting cast in the Super Bowl wasn't good enough. And I know that the, that the Chiefs have made um, improvements along the offensive line. They've brought in some veteran players to replace uh, the two players um, uh, that got Eric Fisher and, and, and Mitchell Schwartz, uh, the two guys that got hurt last year. But we don't know how good they're going to be. We don't know if they're going to be as good as their predecessors. Um, and there's a door that's open, as good as Patrick Mahomes is. Again, he has to have the talent around him. Um, okay, Vinny, I got one more question. Yeah. Do you think 
that car will use his feet more, like running for first downs and stuff this year. I think that'll make him an even much more better quarterback and put him in that upper echelon if he does. Do you think he has that in his mindset after talking to him today? And do you think he'll actually start doing it this season? Well, he did it. He actually did it last year. There were, um, I have to look exactly how many, but there were six, seven, I think. I have to look at the exact number where he ran for first downs, which is all the Raiders really need is if the if it's there, go get it, go take it uh, on, on third and four, you know, third and five, and and everything else is 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 uh, is covered up. Go get those five yards, go get those six yards, and he and he started doing that last year. Uh, in the break, I'll go look at the uh, look at the number on how many runs he had for first downs, and to my recollection, there were a handful of them that were really really important. Um, so yes, I do think he's going to continue to do that. He did start it last year. It was something that John Gruden. Um, has made a point of emphasis with Derek Carr, uh, Raider, uh, gangster Raider. He literally echoed what you just said in terms of, hey, this is something that you need to do to become a better quarterback and to help us more. Uh, so we'll see if he builds off of that. We're going to go back out to the Raider Nation listener line. John in Georgia wants to talk about Derek Carr. Hey, Vay, how you doing today? Oh, good, brother. How are you doing? Doing good. Hey, before I get to Derek Carr, you know, I just wanted to just make a quick comment on your commentary, and I know the fans. Look, I'm a fan a long time, you know, of the Raiders. Look, I don't know if it's Kansas City, the team that we need to be worrying about. Talking about where, like, not to sound too negative, Benny, but, like, we need to worry about, like, the Chargers and the Broncos, right? Like, let's, you know, go, you know, three and one against the Chargers and the Broncos. We're, we're not really in Kansas City's league right now, right? We're still building the mm-hmm. team. That's an established team. I think the fans, they talk about the Chiefs, like, Let's worry about beating Herbert. Let's worry about beating the Broncos, and and then and then maybe win ten games this year. I would be elated, right? Um, I just think we're not really with the Chiefs as of yet. Well, uh, let me inter- let me let me interrupt you before you get to your next point. I do want to get you uh, uh, you, you to get to your next point. I agree with you completely. And honestly, if you're being frank, if we're ble- being honest, uh, if we're being straight up. Yes, they definitely need to worry about the Chargers. They definitely need to worry about the Denver Broncos. They did a pretty good mm-hmm. job against both of those teams last year. But really, absolutely, yeah. they need to worry about the Indianapolis Colts. They need yep. to worry about the Miami Dolphins. They need yep, to worry about the Steelers, the Ravens, the Cleveland Browns. And guess what? They play all of those teams. And every one of those teams that I just mentioned, I yep. can almost guarantee is going to be in the hunt for that wild card uh, chase. I know the Kansas City Chiefs are the uh, team that the Raiders are trying to gun down. You have to think along those terms. That's the team in your division. You want to win your division. That's the goal, first and foremost. But realistically, it's the other teams that I just mentioned because in that fifth division in the AFC, that's the division. Those are the teams that that they're going to be uh, battling for uh, for one of those wild card berths. Yeah, no, I, I, I thousand agree with you, Vinny. And it's funny that you mentioned the Colts because this was kind of like my, my other point. I, I guess, you know, listen, I, you know, I've been a fan for so long of the Raiders that I, like, I remember, like, Walter and, like, you know, Jason Campbell was, like, the greatest thing we had in a while. So when you talk about Derek Carr, because I'm like me, like, I love Derek Carr. I love him going out there saying he wants to be a Raider for life because I remember what we had in the past. But I find it odd that he would say that today. Do you, do you not, A, just destroy the Raiders' leverage? I mean, and, and, and are you doing that as a, you know, sort of screw you for, like, letting me twist in the wind with all these trade rumors? I mean, if you say I'm going to retire if you trade me, like, 
that's crazy, right? Well, uh, I got it. You know, uh, I, I've seen a little bit of that on Twitter, and you know, now I'm hearing it from you. Um, let, let me just explain the situation because um, he was asked a question, and the l- legitimate, straightforward question, basically, the gist of it was, you know, there's quarterback uh, flux going on in the NFL. There's guys that are that are yielding power in Aaron Rodgers, um, Russell Wilson. Tried to do it, it seems like anyway, in Seattle. Deshaun Watson in Houston, where they're basically telling their teams, I don't want to play for you anymore, for whatever the reason might be. And so the question was asked, would you do that? And we're going to cut up uh, his response uh, a little bit more so that you get a little bit more insight into what he said. And he's just not wired that way. He signed a contract. He wants to honor that contract. It's something that burns deep in his soul in how you operate. When you make a commitment, you stick to your commitment. What he said to me is, you know, you you, you stick to it, even if that faith hasn't necessarily been rewarded to you from the other side, and he didn't point any fingers at the Raiders. He said the Raiders have been perfectly fine and great to him. But he's saying the way I operate, the way I was raised, my faith, the way I'm wired, the way I want to, um, the message I want to give to my own kids is you make a commitment, you stick to that commitment. So no, there was nothing in terms of trying to stick it to the Raiders. There was nothing in terms of trying to ruin their uh, leverage or challenge their leverage. He was speaking from the heart. He wants to finish his career with the Raiders because he loves this organization and feels a responsibility to this organization, uh, is committed to this organization. And after all the you know down years, he wants to raise a Vince Lombardi trophy in this uniform. And I can say this, there wouldn't be any better feeling for any athlete that I could even think of right now uh, ahead of Derek Carr who would enjoy that moment more given what he's gone through with this organization and some of the tough times that he's experienced and some of the upheaval and changes in coaches and philosophies and leadership, if he gets to be rewarded with by being able to hoist a trophy, a Vince Lombardi trophy, I mean, that's going to taste really, really good. And that's exactly what he wants. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bonner. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. I think we can all agree that if, if we were able to pull it off and win a championship here, that, that would feel much better than just piling a whole bunch of great players together and figuring, joining up and doing it that way. I think it would be much more special and uh, it'd feel probably a little bit better. From what we've been through uh, to where I think we're going, I think it feel. I just think personally that'd be a cooler story for my life. And for other people, they want to do other things, that's great. That's up to them. But for me, I'd rather, I'd rather go down with the ship, you know what I'm saying, if I have to. That's Derek Carr, uh, and genuinely speaking from the heart and from his perspective and how he's wired and not casting uh, any you know blame or pointing any fingers at, at anyone else that does it their way. Uh, you know, Kevin Durant left Oklahoma City to go chase a championship in Golden State. Let's be perfectly honest about it. He felt his chances to win a championship were better in Golden State. Then he left Golden State to go to Brooklyn with a, a little super team that they built over there. Derek Carr is saying, look, I don't, I don't disrespect uh, that way of doing it, and we're seeing that more and more, obviously, but that's not me. And 
you know, in, in, in my line of work as a writer, it's so important because I see this all the time. People see a headline and they see a tweet and they don't take the time to actually read the whole quote or dig a little bit deeper uh, to, to, to uh, you know, kind of figure out or have a better handle, a better grasp of where somebody's coming from. I want to be a writer for life. And, you know, no, no disrespect to John who called from Georgia, and I appreciate the call. And it's easy to, if you're just reading a tweet or seeing, um, you know, uh, just a blurb or a quick headline. Oh, he's, you know, he, he's, he's trying to, you know, stick it to the Raiders. No, he, he loves the Raiders. That's the whole point. And he wants to reap the benefits. He's gone through a lot of pain here. And in his eyes, winning would make the whole thing that much sweeter. It's, it, it would be that much finer for him, the way he's wired, to do it someplace where he's felt so much pain and lost so many games, frankly, uh, to be able to get that thing right and win it here for him, the way he's wired, uh, that's how he would rather do it. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in our good friend Q Myers. Uh, Q, how are you doing? First of all, thank you for uh, spending some time with us uh, again this week. We always appreciate it. You know that. Um, but did you hear what Derek Carr said, A, and B, some of this notion that he's trying to you know, stick it to the Raiders or trying to reduce their um, leverage in a trade? I think people are completely missing the point, Q. Yeah, no, and I appreciate you having me on the show, my man. And, yeah, I heard Derek Carr in his presser following, you know, mandatory minicamp. And, you know, that, that sound bite right there, you're right. When you say that that quote on Twitter and everything just took a life of its own, and I think that tweet's going to live forever, just the headlines. He wants to be a Raider for life. I honestly kind of took it as, one, I didn't think it was something he had to say. It's something he said before that he grew up a Raider fan, wants to be a Raider, wants to be part of the turnaround, wants to get this team back to where he knows it should be. That was one part. But the other part of it, I think he was kind of sending a message to the fan base like, hey, guys, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here fighting. I'm here grinding. We as a collective unit, as a team, are, are trying to get this thing figured out and get to where it needs to be. I think he was also sending that message to the fan base. If you remember a year ago, he sent the message saying he's tired of being disrespected. A lot of people took that the wrong way, in my opinion. I felt like he was really saying not just him in particular. He was talking about the team. He was talking about his O-line. He was talking about his running back. He was talking about his tight end who should have been, you know, uh, given more accolades than he was. I I think that he's really, I feel like, kind of starting to not come around as far as a leader, but starting to be a little bit more as a matter of fact as a leader. And I think that he's very calculated with what he says. He knows what he's saying, and he knows that it's going to be talked about and probably broken down, but he has a message to send. And, and I think also it's interesting the person who asked the question because Derek Carr doesn't always respond very well to the person who asked that question. <laughs> and that's not a, a dig at him. It's just kind of it, it's almost like a, a, one of those rivalries without being a rivalry, almost one of those you know, uh, unspoken rivalries, in my opinion. So uh, it, it had a lot of different layers to it, but I think more, in, more than anything, he was speaking to the fan base like he's trying to get this team where it needs to be. Yeah, and, um, and, and here's the thing, just to kind of paint the, you know, the, the picture, and, and you know, uh, I just feel like sometimes fans, readers, think that these guys get up on a soapbox uh, in front of their locker sometimes say, hey, gather around, I got something to say. I mean, sometimes that right. happens, but typically it's in response to a question, and it's a relevant question, Q, since yep. we're seeing other quarterbacks in the NFL, much like other athletes in other sports, wielding some power and dictating their future and saying, you know what, it's not working for me here. Even when they're under contract, when they're still under contract, 
And they have every right to do that if that's the path that they choose. And I think Derek made it very clear that he doesn't disrespect or, or look down on anyone that does whatever it is that they do in that regard. But in this instance, he was asked a question, like, and basically the gist being, have you ever thought about that? Why don't you, you know, especially considering all the pain that he's endured here, not necessarily uh, by his doing, it's basically been the dysfunction that's been around him, whether it's talent, coaching, leadership, whatever the case might be. And in some ways, he's been the victim of that. And if anyone had a right to say, hey, look, I want to go someplace else, man. This isn't working for me. It's Derek Carr. And so it's an extremely relevant question to somebody that can speak on it one way or another better than maybe anybody else. And that was his answer. And so sometimes it's just as deep as that. It's a guy that's asking, that's, it's somebody asking a question, and it's somebody like Derek Carr answering it honestly. And that's kind of what happened today. Right. You know, and a lot of times uh, us in the media and guys that have an opportunity to speak to players like, like you had that setting today, you know, we, we ask questions and we want an answer. We want an honest answer. And sometimes we just get the old usual, you know, coach speak or get the usual, you know, player speak where they're not really talking on anything. They just kind of give you a, a broad answer that doesn't really mean a whole lot of anything. He took time, man. It was almost a three-minute answer. You know, he took time to really go into details of why, where, how come. You know, I mean, every answer that you'd want, he basically gave in that almost, like I said, three-minute uh, detailed answer on, on why he has not gone that way and why that's not for him. And, I, I you know, I, I will say that I, I think that Derek Carr, you know, you got to respect him for that. But at the, at the same time, it's just that, that's just how he's cut, and, and everyone has their own – their own style about doing things, and some things work for some guys and some things it doesn't. Clearly, what Derek Carr said is, that approach is not my approach. Right, exactly. And again, I, I, I completely understood LeBron James leaving Cleveland. He tried to, he gave it a go. He gave it an honest effort. There weren't a lot of guys that wanted to join him in Cleveland. I think Cleveland kind of held it back a little bit. And, you know, uh, and, and here's the other thing, Q. How much pressure do we put on these guys to win championships? It's the end all be all. And I'll say this. I've seen that curve. I've seen that turn. We didn't always put so much pressure on these guys. Like the end all be all. You're worthless if you don't win a championship pressure on these guys. I didn't feel that for Carl Malone. I didn't feel that for John Stockton. I didn't feel that for Charles Barkley. If those guys were playing today... They'd get dogged out for not winning a championship, and that's on us as the media. And then we want to turn around and blame some of these guys for saying, man, I need to go win my championship just to get these guys off my back. And I'm not just blaming the media. There's a lot of fans now with phones and Twitter and social media that have almost direct access to these guys being able to say whatever the hell they want to say to them, um, you know, anonymously or behind a keyboard or whatever the case might be. I think that plays into it as well in terms of sometimes when we're seeing guys just say, look, I got to go win my championship or else my career is not going to be validated. Well, social media, you hit it on the head. Social media has changed the game. Social media has changed the game in a major, major way where everyone feels like they have a right to say something. And you're right. Guys like Charles Barkley would have been hammered back in the day. Patrick Ewing would have been hammered back in the day. You know, those kind of guys. We're, Red, we're, we're hammering all. LeBron James for losing at 36 years old in the first round on a depleted Lakers right. team, for crying out loud. Is that going to exactly. ruin his legacy? What are people doing? What are they thinking about <laughs> right now? I don't get it, Q. Sorry. Hey, man, it's the it's the era that we live in, man. It's, it's, it's in 
instant gratification. Nothing could be get, you know earned or nothing could be built up. And look, I know some of the Raider Nations right now is like, hey, Q, I've been building a long time. I've been waiting for a very long time. I get it. I totally get it. You know, I mean, the last time the Raiders won a Super Bowl, I wasn't really even concerned about the team at the time. You know what I mean? I was like seven. So, uh, look, I get it. I totally understand where they're coming from. But that's kind of where we're at, and that's why coaches get fired so quickly. That's why guys are forced to play so quickly as, as first-round draft picks where they used to be able to pull an Aaron Rodgers and sit behind the quarterback for a little while. Now it's like, get them in right now. He's the first-round pick. He's the savior. He's got to get in there and perform. Hell, they're talking about trading Tua out of, Dolph, out of Miami. He's just been there a year. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, there's all kinds of conversations, but it's all about instant gratification. Nothing can be built. And that's what I respected about the Raiders and what Mark Davis did when he decided to give John Gruden the lengthy contract that he gave him. He let it be known. You don't have to worry about winning today. You don't have to worry about, you know, just doing everything you can to force feed, you know, the masses to try to win right now. You can build this team the right way. So once it is a winner, once it does get to the playoffs and it can consistently be in the playoffs and not be a team that's built on sand, but instead built on concrete. And that's what the goal is for the team right now. Some people, it's not moving fast enough. Others, they get it. And, I mean, it just is what it is. got to roll with it and see how it shakes out. Yeah, absolutely. And and even when that happened, everyone was focused on the $100 million and not the the right. uh, the prudence behind that, trying to say, hey, look, it's going to take a while. I get it. You got the time. You got the money. You got all of that you're going to need to be able to get this thing turned around, even if it might take a little while longer. We're talking to our good friend uh, Q Myers. And, uh, and Q, uh, just a couple of um, – observations here from uh, what we've seen this past month and then especially today uh, when we saw the defense pretty much in full force. Really what stands out to me is the depth on the defensive line, the versatility on the defensive line, the various skill sets along that defensive line. You could just eyeball that it's a deeper group and potentially a better group. We'll see, you know, obviously when the games start. But then also uh, in that secondary, you just feel like it just looks better right now. It looks deeper. It looks more competent. It looks like there's better options to turn to, um, you know, if, if there were an injury or just for starting options. Uh, are you getting that sense as well? Again, it has to happen on the field. We all get that. But just from what we've seen at this point compared to last year, those two positions really stand out to me. Yeah, they do to me as well. It's funny that you mentioned that. I did a, a podcast about that uh, for today, matter of fact, talking about defensive line and, and the depth that they have right there and how I think it's going to make the whole defense better. And you talk about the secondary looks better. I think the secondary looks better because they are more confident because they believe in the guys up front. They believe the guys up front are going to be able to get home and do what they're supposed to do in this Gus Bradley scheme and led by Rod Marinelli on the defensive line, that they'll be able to be more effective, which is going to give the, the back end, the secondary, the safety, more confidence. I think Trayvon Merrick, even though he's a rookie, he provides confidence. The team is confident in him. And he's going to be able to do his job and know where he's supposed to be, which will allow Jonathan Abram to go up and play in the box where he probably should be the whole time, you know, and probably should have been from, from jump start and, and play the role that he's more comfortable with. When you're comfortable with your teammates, when you trust that your teammates are going to do their job, that's when you do your job at a, at a better, higher level. When you believe that, hey, you've got to overcompensate because this guy can't hold up his end of the bargain, that's when your, your play starts to slip. So I think it all goes hand in hand. Uh, but there's, that is one thing that we talked about even last year, that it looked like the secondary was a little thin, the safety positions looked a little thin, you know, the defensive line, uh, if there's an injury here or there, could be in trouble. And, and now they've addressed that and provided the depth. My one question is, it's the depth right now. It's June 15th. It's 90 men on the roster. 
100. At some point, later on after training camp, it gets down to 53. How will they make the cuts? Where will they make the cuts? And how much depth will still be there once they make those cuts? Yeah, there's no question about that. And that day is coming uh, sooner than we think, <laughs> Q. Yep. Uh, yep. It's, it's, we're only a few, about a month or so away from uh, the start of training camp. Uh, and we'll see how that uh, unfolds. But, but you're right. It's a 90-man roster right now. It's always amazing to me, Q, when you go from that training camp roster to that first day, that first practice uh, ahead of the first game of the season. And you, you're used to seeing 90 football players out there. And then you just see 53. It's like, where did everybody go? It's a drastic <laughs> – and it's, it's kind of a sobering thing too because you realize yeah. the, how fragile this whole thing is uh, and how th- the, the kind of thin ice that a lot of these guys are operating on. But that's the, that's the name of the game. Uh, we both know that uh, we're talking to uh, Q Myers, our good friend. You can follow him at your boy Q254. Uh, uh, as I was uh, – I took a little break. Um, actually, went to go drive around so I could sit in my car and feel the beautiful – uh, air conditioning. Uh, I'm, I'm full disclosure, no lie. That's what I did, uh, you know, because it's 116 out here in Las Vegas. But when I came back to the facility to get ready for the show, uh, I saw Kenyon Drake and Josh Jacobs leaving the building uh, together, kind of hanging out. Um, and it and it sure seems like, and I know that they're both from Alabama, uh, as, and you being an Alabama uh, football fan or somebody that likes to watch that program, yeah. Um, you know, you understand both of those players were big time players at, at Alabama and both of those players, what I think really works so well for this relationship, both of them during their college career shared the load at some point. That's just what you do at Alabama. And you're kind of, right. that's how you get wired o- over there. And it's, it's not humbling. It's just that everybody's really good and everyone's going to get their touches and everybody's going to contribute, uh, to the wins and, um, you'll get, tapped into and you better be ready and you better be be ready to perform. So I think when people are thinking about that Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake uh, dynamic, and maybe it'll mean a few less carries for Josh Jacobs. We'll have to see how that all plays out, but I think they're okay emotionally and as a, as, as, as friends and based on their college experience, I think both of those guys are in a good place to make this thing work at a pretty high level. I agree 100%. You know, and Alabama, like you mentioned, there's no I. It's all about we. It's all about the team. And that's why they're so successful. When your number's called, regardless where you are on the depth chart, you've got to be ready. You know, Coach Saban will have it no other way. You've got to be ready to go out there and perform. And most of the guys do. And that's why Alabama is the machine that it is. And, you know, I was listening to Josh Jacobs when he was talking after today's mandatory minicamp. And he said, man, as soon as I knew Booker was leaving, I was I was on Drake tough. Like, hey, you need to be here. You need to be in Vegas. So he he's he sought him out. That tells me a lot as well when a lead back seeks out another guy who is a lead back type guy. You know what I mean? That he's ready to he's ready to really rock because he knows exactly what Drake can do. He mentioned lining up in the slot. He could be uh, a receiver out of the backfield. He could do all kind of different things. And Jacobs, of course, could do different things as well. Uh, of course, you know, being the lead back is, is his number one priority. But at the same time, man, there's so many different things that those two can do. I think they're going to be a dynamic one-two punch. Uh, and, and you can't really identify one or two. It doesn't matter. They both could be that that guy. And I think that what Jacobs was saying today really tells you that when he says, "Hey, I don't care about a couple, you know, a couple less uh, snaps or a couple less carries." It doesn't matter. It's about winning for this team. That's that Alabama mentality right there. And you said it before that when it comes to a guy like Max Crosby, less could be more. When it comes to like a guy like Josh Jacobs, less could be more as well. I, I think that that will help him as far as uh, you know lessening the load a little bit. I think it'll help. 
Kenyon Drake as well lessening the load a little bit. And I think they'll complement each other really well. And the Raiders' backfield could be very, very dangerous in 2021. And in the bigger, bigger scheme of things, uh, for somebody like Josh Jacobs, it's it's going to – the longevity factor could come into play as well. Uh, yep. By managing this part of his career, I saw Todd Gurley get ridden, you know, um, and, and, and it was hard not to, like – you know, you, you of course you have to. I mean, he was so dynamic, so good in so many different ways, but there was a breaking point uh, at some point, and he broke. And good for him. I'm so happy for Todd that he was able to get paid before that breaking point occurred. But it just seems at that running back position, that breaking point is always imminent. And being able to to manage that, even at this point in their careers, and, and especially in Josh's uh, career, might be a good thing uh, in the long run. All right, uh, 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 Q, one more day of minicamp, it looks like. I don't know if that's official yet, but it is just tomorrow's the last day of, of minicamp. Uh, right. John Gruden's going to give the team uh, a day off after uh, putting in a lot of work uh, this last month or so uh, and, and coming out in full force as a team uh, to take part of this part of the season. Um, tomorrow will be the last day. Uh, anything that you want, as this thing wraps up, anything that you, in particular that you're keeping an eye on? Well, you know, I just kind of want to see how those those rookies continue to, to grow and, and kind of gel with the team. And, of course, you know, they're not flying around, going 100% speed. They're not in pads. I, I get all that. But I just I want to see the rookies get, you know, acclimated to the scheme, get acclimated to their teammates, you know, just get adjusted to Las Vegas in general. As it's like you said, blazing hot to the point where they had to move up practice to 730 in the morning. I mean, there's a lot of things that you've got to do as a rookie to get adjusted to the NFL lifestyle. That's what I really want to see because last year was, was so different that I think a lot of the rookies didn't have an opportunity to be rookies, you know, and have that rookie offseason. I think Brian Edwards said that today. So I would like to see these guys just continue to grow in what they're trying to do and get accomplished. So by the time training camp wraps up and they get ready for the regular season, they're ready to go in there and make a bigger impact than what we saw in 2020 from a rookie class that was really not given that opportunity to, to, to grow and go in the stages that these rookies this year are able to do. Q Myers, you know it's always a, pl- a pleasure, brother. Uh, thank you very much for the insight. I always appreciate it. Uh, stay cool wherever you are because I know the heat is rolling across the country, so I can imagine that Texas is probably heating up uh, as well. Um, so, uh, so stay cool. Uh, take care of yourself. We'll talk to you down the road. I really appreciate it, my brother. No doubt, man. Anytime you call, you know I'm there. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. That's Q Myers, our good friend, uh, Q Myers, who always, always, always brings the heat, the insight, um, and he just gets it, you know, and so that's why we like uh, to, to have him on the show, because we like people who get it. Uh, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. By the way, real quick, just wanted to remind you guys, what's today? It's Tuesday? Today's Tuesday. It seems like it's later in the week. I don't know why that is. But anyway, uh, don't forget... Friday night, Michael T's here in Las Vegas. Uh, Aloha Fridays from 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. Our good friends over at uh, Embajador Tequila uh, work with Michael T's uh, to put this fun event together every Friday night at Michael T's. Uh, 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. live Hawaiian music. Uh, and then 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. karaoke with a live Hawaiian DJ. And, of course, tremendous, tremendous food uh, and all the Embajador uh, tequila that you want. They make a whole bunch of cool drinks uh, with, with Embajador. You can sip it. Uh, you can do whatever you want. You know how, how it works with tequila. But there's some really good ideas, some really good recipes, some really good uh, Embajador tequila-centric uh, uh, recipes uh, and drinks that they put together. So every Friday night, 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. 
a.m. Michael Tease here in Las Vegas. Aloha Friday night. And by the way, we're going to talk to our good friends from uh, Embajador Tequila a little bit later. Our good friend uh, Les is going to come on and talk some football. My man knows his football straight out, straight out. He knows tequila tremendously. But he also knows his football, and I can't wait to talk to him and uh, share some of his thoughts about the Raiders with you guys. Vinny Monsignor in the Huddle, brought to you by Tequila Embajador.